Hello and welcome to We Read This Last Night, a show where we talk about stuff that we only have surface level knowledge on, but we essentially just read about it last night. And today, in this episode, we're going to be talking about aesthetics, which is basically the branch of philosophy that answers the question, why is shit pretty? What do you think is the prettiest thing in the whole world? You. Um, <laughs> also, um, shout out to the 30-year-old lesbian who forced us to start recording again. What? I have this thing, and so I told her that we guys are going to start recording again. And so she was like, thank God, the 30-year-old lesbian inside of me desperately wanted it. And That's I would so have killed you. But... That's so cute. Uh, yeah. Give her my love. Yeah. Uh, anyways, let's get to the topic at hand. Yeah, so um, aesthetics, let's go to the history of it first. So, as always, we go back to the ancient Greeks and Romans. So, before, like way before when philosophers actually, when philosophy actually became a thing and people started thinking about the big questions in life, they were mostly preoccupied with metaphysics, which is like, you know, where does all this shit come from and why are we here and what are we supposed to do? Those fundamental questions. So they didn't really have the time to sit around and bother about art and what art means because they were going after these. Where all of this changed when uh, we all know the famous philosopher Socrates, he came about because he shifted the discussion more towards uh, ethics and metaphysics. And then um, Socrates dies by drinking poison. And uh, his student Plato gives us the first... Um, proper, like, philosopher takes regarding aesthetics. And in Plato's case, so Plato basically shat on all forms of art. He thought that art should have no place in a proper republic. And here's why he thought that. So, how do I explain this to you? I'm going to take the example of uh, this YouTube video that I watched a few months ago. So, think about this. There's, there's a video game, right? Now, uh, when you think about a video game, you think about several different video games. And shit, I'm so bad at explaining this, but like, that means there must exist an ideal video game out of which you get the idea of all these other video games. So, Plato basically thought something like that. He thought that there was an ideal world of forms where the ideal form of everything existed. And the human world was just a copy of that. So, now when you talk about art, Art is basically the imitation of an imitation because it's the imitation of a real world, which is again the imitation of a world of forms. So pretty vacas theory, but that's what Plato thought, and he didn't really like art and he didn't care for it much, and he thought it was a distraction and all that. Uh, anyway, a punk ass bitch. Yeah, truly. Anyway, so then we come to Plato's uh, disciple Aristotle. And years that I have respect with Aristotle, even though Plato is like his, you know, teacher, he still has the balls to go against him and disagree with him. So Aristotle basically goes, no, fuck you, Plato. I believe that art is important. And he thought art was important because um, it simulated sort of the cognitive uh, areas of the mind. Like, do you know what catharsis is? Uh, yeah, kind of, but like explain it. Okay, so catharsis, basically what Aristotle thought was um, the human mind is a vast spectrum of emotions. Not the human mind, 
but just their existence in general a vast spectrum of emotions which is true as we all know and he thought that we all need to experience all of these emotions but then some emotions are bad obviously why would you want to experience them like fear anger disgust or sadness all of those but those emotions still need to be felt in a healthy way and in a safe space that's what our total thought so let me give an example for that let's say you're watching um a sad movie in the confines of your room now there's no actual like harm that's making you sad you're just watching a movie and it's a controlled environment it's not hurting you or anything but you're still crying and you might have noticed this after watching a sad movie and crying you do feel good or after you might relate to this after listening to your depression playlist you do feel good oh, sometimes fuck off Yeah, so after that, 
as with most uh, philosophical and historical discussions we time travel for a thousand years because christianity came about and that pretty much killed all philosophical discourse not really but mostly and um, so now we come to let's go to the after the renaissance period so um, as we all know art boomed in the renaissance obviously and most of the most of the paintings and works of art had a uh, religious imagery almost all of it like the last supper the sistine chapel chapel the chapel chapels the chapel where is the chapel anyway and, and also uh, david by michelangelo i love david it's so fucking gay yeah but it's it's so fucking hot it is pretty hot like, isn't it like only a guy who had <laughs> true appreciation for male beauty could have made that thing you know yeah i don't think any straight guy would have like yeah. he paid so much attention to every every small detail it's truly a beautiful sculpture i don't even give a shit about that honestly it's just it's fucking beautiful and like i'm saying this is a straight guy it's fucking pretty and that that is aesthetic i don't know why it's pretty it just is mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. what i was getting at was basically that during this period uh, art was still mostly it was in the confines of and it was dominated by religious and um, you know so like cultural imagery but then this changed when uh, i think it happened because of a political change like uh, when the french revolution came about in the 18th century and even before that when all these liberal ideas were sort of spreading throughout europe people started standing up to religion and standing up to even monarchy that, that was a that was a major theme in uh, renaissance paintings as well like you know portraits of kings louis the 14th the sun mm-hmm. king all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff but now this interesting thing happened where instead of art being influenced by all these things art was instead used to criticize all these other institutions so like you know in the french revolution they would make like um they would draw these caricatures uh, and stuff yeah there's these caricatures and these cartoons just like fucking with the monarchy you know this <laughs> there's this there's this cartoon of like this dude farting on king george the third's face it's the funniest shit ever the american dream <laughs> yeah so instead of art being influenced by those art started criticizing those and i think that's really cool now so you can pinpoint how art moves with culture but also how culture moves with art Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, this is this is basically the 18th century with the French Revolution and stuff. And I think all of this, like a major change, came in the 19th century, the late 19th century. Yeah. Uh, with uh, the aestheticism movement, with you know, gay people like Oscar Wilde. <laughs> gay people like Oscar Wilde. <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's basically the um it's known as the sassy gay best friend movement which is basically yeah so you've all heard this like you've all heard the pretentious you know, like edgy teenagers just say art for art sake but yeah this is when that phrase actually came about it was called lars cool lars like it was in french and these french people and like gay british people they got together and they were like you know what pocket like art shouldn't be held in the confines of any uh social cultural or religious thing it should just be its own thing and it should be judged by how pretty it is so art um 
in the end should just be what it is. It's art for art's sake. It's art because it's pretty, and it's just something good to look at. That's that. It might seem like a hollow or you know a sort of vain um take on art to some people, but they in their mind they thought it was just it was liberating. You, know? you can make whatever, and as long as it was yeah, it would be open, it's you know? basically just that. It's basically just that don't gatekeep art. That's the entire point of the movement. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, that like, is that is pretty much the entire point. You don't need to understand art to appreciate it. Uh, who's your favorite artist? Who's my favorite artist? Um, I don't really know. I like, I mean, generic stuff. I like Van Gogh and I like Salvador Dali, so stuff like that. Yeah, all right. So Van Gogh, right? Yeah. So if you look at Van Gogh, there are a lot of reasons to like his art. Like if you look at his color palette, it's it's based on this color wheel in which you use opposite colors like dark green and red or yellow. Yeah, and it sort of gives this unsettling vibe. Yeah, an unsettling vibe and also like stuff pops out when you use opposite things, you know, because yeah, like blue out. and orange. Who the fuck would put blue and orange together? Those are two completely different colors. Yeah, and uh, let's focus on the Starry Night. So in the Starry Night, uh, you know the swirls that he's doing around uh, the stars and stuff, mm. basically in the entire sky. Those are called eddies. So eddies are basically these swirling things in the air or in water like you know when you throw a rock in water those pla- it splashes and then those swirling structures are produced yeah those are eddies and <clears throat> it's very hard to describe them mathematically but this guy just did it you know like 100 200 years ago he just painted it in a mental institution and it's a huge deal. Like, it doesn't seem like much, but it's a huge deal. And uh, because of his choice of color, the stars appear to be twinkling. And all of this, technically speaking, is very impressive. But I don't think that's the reason why either of us like him. It's just because it's pretty. Yeah, like, I like Van Gogh because, not because I derive some very deep meaning from his work. It just makes me feel stuff, you know? And I I think yeah, at the end of the day that should pretty. be the main purpose of art. Yeah. And like even like the ugly uh, you know the not ugly but like the color contrast you talked about. So he does this like green, uh red, blue, orange thing. He does it in a painting called uh The Night Cafe, which uh it's like it's like a green wall and a red ceiling and it looks very it looks very unsettling. And it's called ugly by some people, but it still makes you feel something, you know? So, should that not be accepted as art? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It just depends. Like, you can take individually ugly features and then make something beautiful when you look at it as a whole. Or, you know, it, it could be the opposite as well. Because uh, Frankenstein, when uh, Dr. Frankenstein made his monster... He yeah. took the best features from multiple corpses, but then somehow he made a monster out of it. So Frankenstein is fucking ugly. Yeah, so it's it's more than you know just a sum of its parts. Yeah, I think that's a pretty cool. So I, 
I think it's the same thing as, you know, Van Gogh using green and red, which in theory should not work together. It should look fucking ugly, but somehow it works. Yeah, so I want to get to the the whole philosophical theory behind Van Gogh's book. So we talked about aestheticism, right, which is art for art's sake. Now, on the other hand, there was Mm -hmm. also this thing called realism, which was emerging in Europe. Basically, you know Leo Tolstoy, the Russian writer, who never won a Nobel Prize for some reason. Yeah, so... Yeah, uh, I I don't know, he he wrote, like, these really, really long books. Yeah, like, War and Peace, I'm gonna fucking read that shit, it's like, more than a thousand pages. Yeah. Yeah, so, he was the proponent of realism. So, the realists basically thought that art should portray, I mean, it's self-explanatory, art should portray stuff realistically, and it should have, like, you know, social and moral, um, messaging because otherwise it's worthless because you know if art doesn't basically you know those people who believe that every story should have a moral that kind of stuff mm-hmm. yeah so portray stuff uh realistically that's what they thought it was it was in complete contrast to the estheticians and uh yeah, but the third one like that that's literally gatekeeping art that like you can't make art it isn't art if it doesn't have a meaning, you know? Gatekeeping art, I don't know exactly, but... I mean... You know, people like realistic stuff as well. Like, you know, when you watch a movie, and they have, like, very realistic dialogue, like, they stutter and stuff, and, you mm-hmm. know, they stop in between, and it's sort of, it's sort of proper conversation. So people like that kind of stuff in movies, you know, like, pretty realistic stuff, because it... Not every conversation is as dramatic and as, you know, not every scene is as perfectly choreographed as shown in movies. So I could see how realism would appeal to people. No, I get that, but that's subjectivity. But it's like some people like realistic movies, some people like Shakespeare. But it's not like Shakespeare can say that realistic stuff doesn't count as art or the realistic stuff can say that Shakespeare doesn't count as art. You know, yeah, so I'm not saying realism is the objective, thing. like, you know, like, yeah, all art should be like this. I'm saying it works sometimes. It works in many places. I mean, like, when there are very gory scenes in movies, there's a lot of blood. I mean, that is how violence is in real life. It's not very... I mean, it's a truthful portrayal at the end of the day, and that's, I guess, it's appreciable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the other hand, there was this one dude, I don't remember his name, for sure, but, um... It was expressionism, something like that, and he, like, his idea was that uh, art should be what the artist looks at the world and what he perceives of it in his mind. That's where the starry night comes in. Like, hmm. people argue that the, the stars weren't, I mean, obviously stars don't actually look like that, and they weren't looking like that on that night from Van Gogh's window, but it's what he perceives them as. You, you, don't even need as. To, you don't need to think about the stars. The view from his asylum did not have the village in front of it. He used to see the village when he used to go on walks. So he just compiled the two images. I guess, but then again, it is what he perceived it as, right? Like he, I mean, it's not, he didn't exactly, like, paint that down, but, like, that inspired him and, like, his, that's what mm-hmm. he thought, yeah. like, in his brain, like, his mental image of it. So, I guess it makes sense, is that? Yeah, I mean, I, at the end of the day, whatever you I see is something think... that the artist perceived in real life, and then they change it in their head. So I guess that's how that works. Yeah, and if if you're thinking that it should just be how you see the world, then you can just tell people like Tolkien to fuck right off. Because like, 
dragons and shit don't exist but it's still art it's brilliant yeah but you could argue that everything is inspired from real life events so you know tolkien better be live like england or something he must have gone to the english countryside and that's where he imagined the shire to be like and hobbits to be like so you can't just like divorce something completely every every work of fiction every fantastical element is grounded in some form of reality so you need realism for art you know at the end of the day i'm i'm not saying it should be the only uh, thing that governs art but it's, it's surely a stepping stone for it yeah okay maybe i don't know i mean that's just inspiration fair enough but inspiration is what makes art you know it's a very necessary component Okay, now do you want to get to the objectives of art? What do you think art should do? What should it be like? I don't know. Like, I think art, as long as it's like, as long as it's entertaining and like, just it should just appeal to the viewer, and I think that's enough. Entertaining. Okay, let's talk about yeah. entertaining. Uh, so there's a very common. I mean, uh, not not just entertaining. It's just that. I think that anything can be art as long as someone enjoys it, as long as the artist enjoys making it, or as long as the viewer enjoys, you know, viewing it. Should be for enjoyability, basically, and nothing else. Yeah, that's a fair point, uh, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this thing I mean, that art should capacity. be. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, art is pretty much not pretty much, but it's mostly escapism, like. when you when you're reading mm-hmm. a book you sort of immerse yourself in the book and you imagine yourself as the characters when you watch a movie you Norwegian get transported what Norwegian word yeah like Norwegian word yeah like especially for us very strong characters and if you listen to songs you sort mm-hmm. of basically every time you consume art you uh, travel you're away from your own mind that's what that's what it's for yeah but then you can't say that it's purely for escapism because okay let's talk about the lord of the rings uh, for a second again like lord of the rings obviously it's, it's an expansive fictional fantastic universe but is it just for escapism because i learned to sit out like lord of the rings i learned how to be a better friend i learned the power of loyalty you know the shared love of humanity all of that so you could say it's not just for escapism See, because it's not thing. just traveling and coming and coming back it's coming back with you know all sorts of messages of morals so it's not purely for escapism but it mostly is that's subjectivity because like something could mean the world to one person and could just be you know just a piece of art to another person i guess but because... in reality who would watch the lord of the rings and not come away with anything like nothing at all really you do gain something you know unless it's something terribly bad you know but even you, you can even gain something from something that's terribly bad so you know you can gain yeah, memory that's beside the point that's besides the point because i think that's a pretty i don't know i think it's a widely accepted fact that everything has something worth knowing because like whenever you consume any form of media you learn something either it's that it's either that you're learning something new or you're learning that you agree with something or that you disagree with something because you know even when i'm watching someone like ben shapiro who i completely disagree with i learned that i don't want to be like the censor you know 
I guess so. Every art, form of media. Unfortunately, art can be something you disagree with as well. So, even though I hate something like Justin Bieber by Yami, you know, like even if like a few people, I mean, not a few, shit ton of people like it. So, unfortunately, yeah, you got that Yami Yam. Yeah, Yami Yam. And it's a work of art. Changing to them. It's not just that they like it; it's life-changing to them. But to us. it isn't appealing yeah again that's the whole point like you cannot you cannot discredit something if, if you, just because you don't like it as hard as hard as it sounds and as hard as, as it is yeah yeah and then um you know you come to the realist point of view again should should there be a does the artist owe you moral responsibility so this is where there's this very famous um it's, it's very interesting uh experiment that comes to mind so basically there was this dude um this artist guy and he displayed a practical artwork in this museum at Denmark a practical artwork is basically when you make the audience interact with the work of art and stuff like so even Yoko Ono did this shit right so she she did something like she sat on a stage and she invited people to like tear her clothes or something something like that i don't know but some yoko stuff like that Yoko Ono is really fucking weird. Like, you know how I talked about art. Like, anything can be art. Yeah. Nothing that is conceived <laughs> by Yoko Ono can ever be art. I agree with that. Yeah, wholeheartedly. I know she. I know she co-wrote Imagine, but yeah, no. Yeah. Nothing she ever does is gonna be art to me. Anyway, so this practical artwork was basically, um, ten. Electronic blenders, and every blender had a fish in it, a gold fish in it, and participants were invited to turn the blender on if they wished, so without any consequence, basically. So a lot of people were very confused. They were just standing there, unsure of what to do, and they were like, "What is this shit? Is this even art or whatever?" Then after a while, one good Samaritan comes up, turns on the blender, and very obviously the fish gets shredded into pieces and it dies. and then uh, i think the museum curator or something was charged with uh, animal abuse and they locked him up and so this would like to a uh, generally to a person this wouldn't really count as art would be like what the fuck is this shit it's just killing fish for no reason and to some extent i agree but when they asked the artist about what it actually meant he said that when anyone views the like, uh, practical artwork they basically div- immediately get divided into one of three people either a voyeurist a voyeurist be someone who just watches it uh, he he wants to turn who just watches what other people do yeah like he loki wants to do it but he doesn't have the balls to do it so he just waits for someone else that's the voyeurist and uh, mm-hmm. that's the moralist so the moralist is someone who won't do it but then he'll also stop other people from doing it because that's how much it matters so because it's a question of morality so yeah that's that's that and the, the last group is is the status who wants to go turn the blender on and will actually go and turn the blender on because it gives him satisfaction because there's no it's no consequence action so yeah i mean pretty interesting and i get what he's what he's trying to say but again it's a very it's a very controversial thing what do you think do you agree with him 
see the thing is i don't agree with it morally like i don't agree with you know the blending fishes but you know if the i would agree with it if the blender was not actually connected and he just wanted to see how people react yeah but well, that makes sense that makes the whole lot support of that yeah but, but it wouldn't be as shocking i guess the but then again side. you don't need to kill us in cold fish but yeah it wouldn't no, be as shocking but it, it would still prove its point about know? yeah his point is about human psychology and like he could learn the person's intention without killing the fish yeah that does wow i i cannot believe no one thought of that yeah yeah now the last thing do you believe that beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder yeah in all cases uh yes i think so so do you think you can find beauty in something that is literal trash Uh, yeah actually because um so uh, class 12 ncert <laughs> supplementary reader chapter 3 uh there's a story about this kid Fucking who is Lord. basically a rag picker so he just goes through trash looking for stuff that he can sell yeah. you know and so to him like to us trash is trash but to him it's a gold mine you know he's just a kid but sometimes he finds money in it sometimes he finds really valuable stuff that he can sell for money in it so to him it's an opportunity but we avoid the trash or whatever so yeah, yeah like one month trash is another month come up yeah quite literally <laughs> i don't know what song that is from but okay do you not think that um, beauty lies in the eye of the beholder is a very convenient statement like if i'm listening to something questionable and you know you you don't discredit it necessarily but we had to have a conversation about why it's this bad or why it's good i mean i could just say oh you know well bro beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder and it will just like shut the entire discussion because what can you even say after that i think it does that. i think to some extent it does that you know and if you say know, that that's uh, a tough one that's a tough one yeah and it also implies that um if beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder then generally speaking nothing would nothing should be more beautiful than the other yeah nothing is objectively beautiful yeah it's kind of problem because i can definitely think of some things that are definitely more beautiful than other things for example for example um Taj Mahal is prettier than the slums of Dharavi. I can say that as a fact. I think. Uh, that you could say that as a fact, but what if someone has nostalgic memories of the slums and his mom was killed at the Taj Mahal? I'm going to say that subjectivity. <laughs> okay, I you do have yeah, points. beauty lies in the eye of the beholder is basically an expression to explain subjectivity everything is subjective you did get me there actually yeah i don't know though maybe What i mean you I could say, say that he I'm could be smart. you could detach someone from every experience of everything 
and just make them view the Taj Mahal and, and like the Haravi side by side. But then again, that, that would again be viewing it from the objective lens. So objective, subjective. I don't want to get into that shit. Again. Yeah, but also like if you take away all of the context, then maybe the slums would actually be more beautiful because they have more vibrant colors and stuff. Vibrant the colors. The person doesn't. I don't, I don't think anyone goes to Tarawi and goes, "Oh wow, what what vibrant colors." <laughs> Yeah, that's because we have that's because we have context, right? But you're talking about taking all the context away and just looking at two images. So Taj Mahal is beautiful to us because it's like clean and stuff, but you could also see it as monotonous. It's pure white. There's n- nothing different about like if you look at different parts of it, they're almost all identical. I don't know, you're asking that. I find that pretty interesting because if we didn't have any experience, if we weren't always thought that the Taj Mahal was one of the seven wonders of the world and, you know, it wasn't so hyped up to us and if we didn't always regard slums and Dharabi as, like, basically if we didn't have any of that, like, like pre-existing experience, it would be pretty interesting, you know, if you showed, like, an alien or something. What would, what would an alien thing? It's, it's pretty okay, intriguing. I'll, I'll, give, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a personal example. I don't think Mona Lisa lives up to the height at all. I don't know, me neither, I guess. Tiny as fuck. Like, to me, it's just, it's fine. Like, it's regarded as one of the most beautiful paintings ever, but it's fine. I think so. Like, I wouldn't pay to see it. Yeah, I would, I don't know, I would argue that there are way better paintings displayed at the Louvre than Mona Lisa, so I would go to watch that. Yeah, but to some people, it's like the most beautiful thing in the world. Fair enough, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, at the end of the day, philosophy is all about asking questions, not answering them, and it's better to have questions you can't answer than answers you can't question. So, we're just going to leave you right here. Yeah, and it's pretty much expected that when it comes to an episode regarding philosophy, you're not going to end with a definitive answer. And so, that's pretty much it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again next week.